it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. Sometimes we make decisions with our kids on how we think our kids are going to feel in the first 10 minutes versus thinking about 10 months or 10 years. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience that person. Yeah. Here are your hosts. David and Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm back on the list. Did you notice What's that? the list? Well, for about six, seven months, you're like, and here's your host, Danita Bailey. <laughs> and I was just kicked off of the, I just noticed that my name is back on, so I guess I'm official again. I'm Danita. I mean, I'm not. Danita, I am the husband of Danita Bailey. I am David Bailey. I'm officially back in the game because my name is in the introduction. Yes, yeah. you are. You are official once again, <laughs> Christina. And I thought we would surprise you with that since oh. she's the one who does the announcement. I was like, that's 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 my name. <laughs> my name? Anyway, hi everybody. Yeah, so I I'm figured, David Bailey. Uh, that was quite a <laughs> runway to that. Yes. <laughs> so you know, since this week is our third anniversary, we thought we would surprise you with that. All um, right. Yeah, actually, our three years. Three years. We legit did not think we were going to get through one year. Well, you Month. did. No, you thought we would get through a year. I oh. I was looking at fifty two weeks of content and thinking there's no way we're going to do that. Yeah, until COVID-19. <laughs> right, COVID-19. We basically did all of our shows back over um, in light of virtual oh, learning right. or COVID. <laughs> something, something, something in a pandemic. We right. redo everything again and just put in a pandemic at the beginning of it and a whole new season. Yeah. We're back, y'all. Yeah. So this is our 79th show. That's crazy. I know. I, I can't believe we've done that. We've been downloaded in 44 countries. 44 countries. Uh-huh. And what are, what there are some countries i don't even know well not i don't know they existed i'm like really like how how did how did you even find us so what were, what were some of the countries i can't believe you asked me that did you know that i was that I, that i had some yeah because oh it you, okay it, 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 it's called the script <laughs> that you put them down on yes. i didn't know if i gave you that part of the script oh no you didn't i just happened to read oh okay yes, yes no actually we uh so oman i've never heard of oman before but they we have a listener at least one in oman what are some other uh, countries that we didn't know downloaded us before? Like we knew about like Australia and Canada, Canada and Brazil and you know, Germany, but what were some of the other ones? Well, we're big in England. That's actually our second. Oh no, I think Canada is our second most downloaded country, and then there's um, uh, Great Britain after that. But um, well, Qatar, shout out- Qatar. Wow! Shout out to Qatar! Shout out to. Uh, whoever found us in Qatar, thank you. And spread the word um, to the Qatarians, Qatarites. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Well, however you are named and called there, please spread the word. Um, we are excited to uh, keep going here, and um, there is a lot. I feel like we're just getting started. In many, many ways. Well, she, you, you didn't hear that affirmation to my wife. She just said, mm, you know, I'm loaded. You know what? Well, maybe we'll just 
kick your name off the introduction and we'll just oh you're say, gonna do all the all here's the work. your host david bailey oh, yeah okay. yeah so, all anyway right. all right well we are we're, we're back and we are ready to get going here so let's go well we're starting off the year with your favorite subject mm-hmm. math my i've been waiting my least favorite subject yes mathematics you know well let me really well i'm sorry do you have something else you want to say first no, well, I was going to ask you why you love math so much because, like, uh, you—it's truly your boo. Yeah. Um. So, as many as you, as many of you know, I am a middle school algebra one and geometry teacher. So, I teach algebra one to seventh and eighth graders and geometry with eighth graders. So, if they had me in seventh grade, so this year I have a, a, a crop of students who had me last year in the middle school. So, this is advanced math, and I've been you know, itching to get. Uh, to this um, content level at at this at these grade levels for a long time, so I'm I'm excited here. But re- re- really, really quick, I so coming out of middle school in eighth grade, um, some of you know or maybe don't know. Um, initially, I wanted to be a pilot, and so I was on a journey of applying to the U.S. Air Force and Naval Academy. Um, I talked with my counselor and. She recommended that I get into calculus by 12th grade. So I was on the track to get into pre-calculus by 12th grade. So I had to accelerate my learning. So I went to summer school between 8th and 9th grade. Um, and I took Algebra 1. Um, so and truly, the teacher came up to me and said, um, welcome. There were just a hodgepodge of students in the room. Everyone was doing different things. He gave me the book, literally, and just said, well... Um, cover these chapters, read them and do them. And, um, basically if you pass, then you're, you're good to go. I was like, okay, I don't need better. So I just did the best I could with what I had. Literally, I, you know, trying to teach myself. Um, then in ninth grade, I took geometry. Then I got to algebra two in 10th grade and I enrolled in the advanced algebra two class. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have no, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I requested to move out of the advanced one into the general algebra two. So I was a sophomore with a bunch of juniors. Um, and I asked if I could get an algebra one book. So what I would literally do is I would teach it with teaching algebra two. I, hmm, I don't know that. Then I'll go back to my algebra one book. And I had to literally teach myself two courses at once. And I got into my groove and the second semester and the rest was history i was grooving um didn't look back and then after that i just i, I fell in love with math because I, I got into a rhythm but i i run i teach algebra one but i never really took an algebra one course uh but i have a passion for it now and you know i give my all like, everything i didn't get when i was coming up in math i want to give my students now um so they can be the best they can be and also just to see how math really ties into the world into life as well well, I don't think I've actually heard that story before. You haven't? Mm-mm. Well, I think I've told you before. You probably just weren't listening. <laughs> or maybe it was a really long time ago. Well, I tell you stories all the time. You know, sometimes you're, you know, Facebooking or something, so. <laughs> well, I mean, don't yeah. tell me stories while I'm Facebooking. Okay, anyway. So. Well, I'm glad you have <laughs> such a passion for math. Because yes. that, that bodes well for our children. 
Well, let's go ahead and get started. Today, we welcome Dr. Randy Pelisok, who is a sixth grade math teacher in California. I came across his TED talk called Math Isn't Hard, It's a Language, and I thought he would be the perfect person to give us tips about making math more accessible for their kids. But before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show or hashtag I Am School Days. And also, we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 444-214-444-5575. Or if you are live with us on Facebook, you can drop us a question there. So we're going to just jump right in. Today's kid caster is a Texas third grader named Christian Soldier, and he'll tell us a little bit about our guests. Dr. Palisok has been in education for 23 years and has worked at the elementary, middle school, high school, and college levels. In 2004, he founded the seven-time national award-winning Synergy Academy. Currently, he also teaches at James Jordan Middle School, which recently won its first ever California Distinguished School Award in 2019. Welcome to School Days, Dr. Pally Sock. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome. Sure. We are so glad to have you. Absolutely. Danita and David, thanks for having me. And it's an honor to be on your anniversary show. Oh, yay. Thank you. All right. So the first thing I want to know is how did you land in education? Sure. I actually grew up in Hawaii and my parents immigrated to the from the Philippines to Hawaii in the 70s. So I was born and raised in Hawaii. After graduating from high school, I came to California and attended school at USC, where I was a business and entrepreneurship marketing business, a marketing and entrepreneurship major, as you mentioned. And after graduating from college, I decided I needed the summer off. So I didn't really spend too much time looking for a good job right out of college. And eventually got a job in the fall working as an office manager or office assistant at an office. And... At, at the same time, one of my college friends became a classroom teacher as a kindergarten teacher. So I got a chance to visit her classroom a couple of times. And what she was doing in her kindergarten classroom seemed a whole lot more interesting than what I was doing in the office. So that's when I decided to make the career change, took a couple more classes to qualify to become a teacher and made the whole career change and went into education. I love that. So that's that. how I went from, mm -hmm. So that's how I went from an entrepreneurship and marketing major in college to someone involved in the field of education. All right. Yeah, Dave, you kind of had a an interesting um, path to math as well. You started off yeah. in cement at, at a yeah. ministry. Yeah. Well, so undergrad, if you're wondering, like, why am I not in the, you know, why am I not a pilot? Why am I doing a podcast now? Yeah. Well, my senior year of high school, I found out I needed eyeglasses and I was not qualified to be a pilot anymore. Uh, so I went to the Air Force Academy prep school. I still wanted to go. I got there and I was like, mm, you know what? I can't fly and this isn't for me. Uh, I don't know what else I was going to do and I wanted to fly and I couldn't. So I left, uh, came home, went to the University of Pittsburgh where I majored in a double major in economics and business uh, where it was very math heavy. Um, especially on the economic side and uh, 
I was fascinated by understanding how mathematics applied to you know social behavior. Um, then I became a tutor in college, and I started working with students, high school students. Um, and so um, I went into corporate America for a couple of years. Hated it. Hated it. Money was good, but I, I was just unfulfilled in every single way. Um, then I uh, sensed a, a, a call after a lot of prayer to uh, go to Dallas Theological Seminary, which is what brought me down to Dallas. Um, and then I graduated in 2008, and that's when the economy fell out. So churches were like, well, we'd love to have you, but we don't have any money to hire you on staff. <laughs> and so I was like, well, um, well, I, I do enjoy math. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I tutored students all the way through seminary, too, and mathematics. And I was like, well, let me let me you know do this for in the meantime, uh, in the meantime until uh, <laughs> I, I get to do so you thought. right. And so, uh, but here we are, you know, 12, 13 years later, educational coaching company, foundation, podcasting, um, and um, I love it, and I love every single step of the journey along the way. Um, and this is a part of my call, which I didn't know at the time, but I'm you know I'm still able to do other things, but. I relate to my degree in seminary, but I truly love investing in kids and helping them to get better at math. And I'm learning a lot myself along the way about what I didn't learn when I was growing up. So Yeah, and you guys both really love math, mm -hmm. but math has gotten a really bad rap. So, Randy, why has math been labeled so hard? Honestly, I think it's because not everyone's been given the opportunity to excel in math. Hmm. And it's, it's so funny that David and I share similar backgrounds with each other, where we didn't start off in the education field or in a, in a math related field. But as the opportunities came around, we just took advantage of, of those opportunities. So it just goes to show that you never know where you're going to end up and you just take opportunities as they come. And I think the, one of the reasons why math gets a bad rap is kids haven't been given that opportunity, especially at the early age. Um, and that's where you where you set your mindset for math and so on. So for, for my path, after I became a, after I made the career change and became a classroom teacher, I was working with the, the LA Unified School District for seven years. And about my fifth year of teaching, I was at a conference, an education conference. And on the last day of the conference, I attended a session on parent choice, having no clue what that was about. <laughs> and when I went to that session, it turned out that that session was about charter schools. So we learned about what a charter school is. And the speaker was a fellow educator in Los Angeles who decided to open up their own school with he and his colleague open up their own school in South LA. And they talked about how within a, a few short years of opening up the school, they were able to obtain much higher results than the neighborhood schools. So I came home from that conference and told my wife about the session. And she was a, class, a classroom teacher at the time as well. And I said, hey, I learned about these two teachers who wrote a grant and got funded to open up a charter school. And uh, hey, we're both teachers. And she was a classroom <laughs> teacher at the time. I said, let's give it a shot. So we found out about the application process, wrote a grant, got funded for about almost half a million dollars to open up a school. Wow. So we... When we got the grant, we looked at each other and said, I guess we're doing it. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> they believed us and we got to do this now. <laughs> exactly. So we both ended up quitting our jobs at the school district as classrooms teachers and opened up a school called Synergy Academies, which is located in inner city, South Los Angeles. 
And we wanted to open up the school there because that's where we felt that the need was the greatest. So we opened up the school in 2004. And just like with the, my predecessor, who I found out at the, at, the, at the presentation about how he opened up the school, we did the exact same thing. And within a couple of years, our students had gone from the bottom 10% of students in the state of California and moved up close to the top 10% of students in California. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so it just shows that, you know, it doesn't matter if students come from economically disadvantaged backgrounds and so on. If you give them the opportunity and you give them the, the opportunity to succeed and provide them with resources and good teaching, especially, that it doesn't matter what your background, background is, anybody can be successful in math. Yeah. And it's not like we expect everyone to be experts at differential calculus, but at least the basics. You should be able to, to have the basics down and be able to use math to help make, your, make a better life for yourself. And so, so oh, go ahead. No. Yeah, so that's why I think math has gotten a bad rap. It's, it's because not that um, some people are hardwired for math and others are not. It's just not everyone has been given the opportunity to be successful at math. Right. So what was the difference? What, how were you guys got, uh, come, able to come in in such a short period of time and um, make such a difference um, in kids that probably would have been written off otherwise? I think that when we were looking at the stats, that low scores tend to go with certain ethnic groups and economic, stat, economic status and so on. But what we firmly believe that if students get good instruction, are taught the value of hard work, that they can make the difference. And so when we opened up our school, we wanted them, our, our vision as a school was for our students to eventually have the choice to attend the four-year university of their choice. Mm -hmm. And we, we knew that in order to get to that path, you can't jump from the bottom to the top in one jump. So we decided that we're gonna set the foundation which is what a lot of kids were missing. Yes. And when I was a classroom teacher before we opened up the school, we noticed that a lot of kids didn't just didn't have the basics. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't have a solid foundation, they weren't able to get up to higher levels of math. So we decided that when we open up the school, we're really going to focus on the foundation, focus on the basics. And once that foundation is set, then they'll be able to climb to higher and higher levels. Yeah, I love that. Are there any non-math? So you said that it's not necessarily that people have a math mind or not, because I certainly grew up thinking I didn't have a mind for math. My dad uh, was a financial oh. consultant. He was always really good in math. Um, and I just never was able to grasp it and thought that that was just not my thing. I just can't do math. Mm -hmm. But are there non-mathematical barriers that exist to understanding math? Once again, I think practice is one of the big things that will lead to success. Mm -hmm. And if, if students get that practice and the good instruction, then anybody can get there. Some non-mathematical math barriers though, I think real life experiences are a big thing. For example, if, if students are exposed by their parents to different kinds of experiences with math at an at a informal level, for example, when you're going to the grocery store and putting things into your shopping cart and noticing how a, a pack of water that comes in the case of 24 is arranged in a four by six array. Mm. Noticing mathematical things like that at a real life level can really help set up the student to further understand higher level math further down the road. 
So I think that would be a non-mathematical barrier is if, if you provide students with different real life experiences that can help bring down the barriers to success. And one other thing, another example that I can give is my first job was actually working at McDonald's. And this was many, many years ago. I still remember my hourly rate. So it was when minimum wage was $3.25 an hour. I, I still remember that wow. decades down the road. Yeah. And just my opportunity to work as a cashier at McDonald's, I think really helped shape my mathematical mind because it taught me a number of things. Number one is how to value hard work and realize how hard it is to earn a dollar so it taught me that and uh, my interactions all day long was working with customers and working with money mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. being able to count change correctly and just constantly working out sums and not relying on the cash register to tell me what the correct change is supposed to be that's important is one of those experiences that helped me in high school to be able to handle my numbers mentally instead of having to rely on a calculator or a computer yeah. So were you required, I'm sorry, were you required to count back the change or did you just hand them back the dollar or 58 or whatever, or did you count it back to them? Believe it or not, that was actually part of our training ah. where, <laughs> to make sure that the customer was getting the correct change. You would count it back as he would say, uh -huh. and not art. just rely on what the cash register said. It is a lost art. And one, one example is when the total comes out to $3 and 77 cents and the customer gives you back, gives you $4. It's 23 cents and change. If you pump it, punch, punch it into the cash register, mm -hmm. but it's really messy to scoop up 23 cents from the cash register. It'd be a whole lot more convenient if you could scoop up a quarter and give that to the customer instead. Mm -hmm. But if it's $3 and 77 cents, you've gone over 75 cents by two cents. So the strategy is instead of giving four dollars pay four dollars or two cents so that you get an exact quarter back so when i was working at mcdonald's we actually learned how to do that and if if the total was 377 and the customer gave you four dollars i i would ask my customers do you have two extra cents that you can give me so mm -hmm. that i can give you a quarter back yeah and like david said that is the lost art yeah they're not doing and that anymore no <laughs> My wife actually gets mad at me when we go to the drive-thru sometimes and it comes out to three seventy-seven, and I give the cashier $4.02. I do that too. <laughs> a lot of times the, customer, the cashier would look at me and say, why are you giving me two yes. extra mm -hmm. And my wife says, you know what? You're just confusing them. Just pay with a credit card. So <laughs> <laughs> it is a total loss art. And I think if, if one thing that parents can do is if you give your kids experience working with money, like actual physical money, it develops a mind for math and it, it gets, gets them comfortable working with numbers. Yes, my dad made me learn how to count back cha change. I think I can still do it. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> nobody ever, ever does that anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I want to um, add uh, one thing I, I experienced, I realized growing up that, you know, when, when I came through math, that, you know, if if a student already can process abstract thinking, then math makes perfect sense. You know, then, mm -hmm. and you do this, do this, and, and do this, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized everything I was taught, I mean, I was taught math well, but it was all abstract. So I had to, I had to kind of catch on to the wave of abstract thinking mm -hmm. without really learning conceptually. So, like, I learned my multiplication facts, but I never knew that multiplication is repeated addition. Like, who knew? You know, it's repeating addition again and again. Um, or 
you know, contextualizing uh, the problems in real life. I think one of the biggest things, like, now I really drive home is, like, so what? Like, why does a kid, besides a state test, which is more for teachers and, you know, and, you know, there's the accountability piece and, you know, we're measured that way. But, like, why why does a kid need to know this for anything that they do? And so I've tried to uh, contextualize what we're learning to make it real to them. So, like, for example, really, really quick, I um, they don't know what they're about to get this, but I'm giving them a project. Uh, your, your students? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're listening today, then they'll know. Uh, but I did it a few years ago where I had kids. Um, I said, okay, tell me tell me your dreams. Like, what type of house you want to live in? What type of car do you want to drive? And say, I want this. And we researched it. I said, great. Now, um, right now, at your eighth grade level, you have very little skills. And you could get maybe a minimum wage job when you're 16. So how much is that per hour? Okay, that's your rate. And then how many years will it take you at minimum wage rate to you to achieve your dreams? You know, if they wanted a Lamborghini and a, you know, a mansion, you're talking a million plus. Okay, at seven twenty-five an hour. How long will take for you to get there? And it's I'm teaching them about slope and about you know ratios and fun, linear functions, everything that we're supposed to teach them. But they're like, oh my gosh, Mr. Bailey, I didn't I need to get an education. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and and so I'm trying to make it real, not just for a test or on a piece of paper, but how do you make it real? And I never got that growing up. It was just here are the facts, here's the test, solve it. That's something that I think that would have uh, really helped me is to. Um, relate it back to real world experiences so i could say you know why why does something to the something squared even matter to me at any time you know yeah yeah randy in your ted talk you spoke about the teaching math as a language what does that mean well as you mentioned i've I've given a ted talk on making math accessible to students and one of the ways that you can do that is remembering that math is a language and during that TED talk about, I talked about how the reason a lot of students have a difficult experience with math is that it's been taught in a dehumanized way. Right. And the whole language mm-hmm. aspect has been taken out of math. And that's why it's so difficult for kids to understand different concepts. And one example is if you're adding one third plus one third, so it's going into the realm of fractions, one way that you could explain to students how to add one third and one third is you keep the numerator. So the one plus, actually the numerators, you add them up, but the denominators of the fraction, three and three, you keep the denominator. So you end up with your answer of two thirds of the answer. And if you gave that explanation to a kid, they would have no clue what you're talking about because they have no clue what a numerator is or what its denominator is. So that's why fractions are so intimidating to students is because mm-hmm. none of that makes sense. It's taught in a dehumanized way and they have no clue what a numerator or a denominator is. So if you back it up and present it in a different way, it becomes a whole lot easier to understand. So kids don't know about numerators and denominators, but they know about apples and apples. <laughs> so even a kindergartner can tell you that one apple plus one apple equals two apples because apples plus apples give you apples. One apple plus one apple gives you two apples. It's it's a physical object that they can visually see, or even if, if you have the the apples in your in your kitchen, even better. 
So you extend it and you, if you say what's two pencils plus three pencils, just like apples plus apples give you apples, pencils plus pencils give you pencils. How many pencils? You've got five pencils. And extend it even further. Now let's do one billion plus four billion. So billions plus billions give you billions. How many billion? You have five billion is the answer. Mm -hmm. So now when you give a question like what's one third plus one third, kids can go back to the concrete example of one apple plus one apple equals two apples and realize that one third plus one third equals two thirds. Mm -hmm. And now they've successfully added two fractions together and not even needed to know what a numerator and denominator is. Right. Yeah. So if you back it up that way, it makes a whole lot more sense to students. And that's how I introduce adding fractions to my students, even my sixth graders. We start off with apples plus apples. One apple plus one ap apple equals one apple. So it makes sense that one third plus one third equals two thirds. And they didn't have to know any rules about numerators or denominators. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how did they get that answer if they don't know about numerators and denominators? Well, what they're using is their intuition instead. And their intuition is much more powerful than using any rule that you can come up with about numerators and denominators. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know when the pandemic first hit with my son, you know, we started making a, a water bleach combination to spray stuff off. I probably, probably sprayed probably 200,000 items by now. Uh, <laughs> but I told my son, okay, um, it says on the bottle, it's like one cup for every one cup of bleach for every one gallon of water. Well, we're using a spray bottle. I said, so that's not going to work. And I made him figure it out. Uh, so how much do we need for this bottle here? How much bleach do we need? And he had to make those conversions. Um, he just learned this in sixth grade math about ratios and proportions. And so um, I said, now, if you don't put enough in there, then it might, may not kill the coronavirus. And if you put too much, then we're going to be, you know, high. <laughs> so um, it took him a while to kind of reorder himself. But, you know, he was determined to get it and he got it. So, it, again, make, making those connections, you know, connecting it to something that people can relate to, because a lot sometimes it can be taught in a very abstract way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with that fraction example, when you put the language back in there, instead of looking at a number with a line over another number, it makes a, a whole lot easier for students to understand. And the question might be, well, what do you do when it's one half plus one third? Yeah. Where it's different denominators. So I tell my students, you'll learn how to attack that, that problem in the very next lesson. So, but what we start off, we start off with was very simple problems to build that conceptual understanding that they can actually wrap their heads around. And then when we get to more complicated examples, it's a lot easier for them to handle. Okay. And eventually they'll get to what a numerator and what a denominator means, the mathematical explanation, as well as I tie it back to languages as well. So I'm currently teaching sixth grade at, at my school and pretty much close to 100% of my students are Spanish speaking at home. So they, they speak English and Spanish. And I tell them, you know what, use, your use that second language that you know to your advantage. So if you look at the word numerator and denominator, which are mathematical terms, it's actually related, related to the Spanish words numero and nombre. So a numerator is related to the word numero in Spanish, which is number. Mm -hmm. So if you look at one third, one is the number of fractions, the number of pieces that you have. And the denominator is related to the word Spanish, that nom in denominator and nombre in Spanish. 
Nombre means name in Spanish. Uh -huh. So the name of the fraction is a third. <gasps> so, yeah, so a lot of kids don't make that connection. And a lot of adults actually don't realize that huh. num numerator <laughs> comes from... <laughs> numerator <laughs> is related to numero in Spanish, which is number. Number. And denominator is related to nombre in Spanish, mm. which means name. So huh. the name of the fraction is the third. And that's why if, if you're looking at that piece of fruit, one apple plus one apple equals two apples, the name of the fruit is an apple. And when you, when you look at it at the fraction side, one third plus one third equals two thirds. The name of that fraction is a third. It's a third. So that's why apples plus apples give you apples. Thirds plus thirds give you thirds. Yeah. Okay. So. This is yeah. This is helping me already because I, I enough <laughs> fractions were kicking my tail, um, and I still don't understand them. And actually, here's a quick question that a friend of mine I told her what we were doing tonight, and she said, "I want to know, is it too late for me <laughs> as an adult? <laughs> can I can I still grasp these concepts, or are they better learned, you know, before you're 18? I would say it's never too late to learn. So tell your friend, have at it, and give it a shot. Um, and it's it's never too it's never too late to learn different math mathematical concepts. And just like David and I, we changed careers after we became adults and took a whole different path. The same can be said for math as well. Even after you turn eighteen and become an adult, um, I love learning about things just because they're interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So if you find interest in interest We're in something and spirits. put in the practice, it it, it makes a big difference. <laughs> okay. Um, you focus a lot on fractions and other these um, these other foundational concepts, which you said really helped you when you were starting the charter, charter school because sometimes they don't uh, grasp those concepts well enough to move on. So what basic mathematical concepts are necessary in order for children to learn upper level math? I would say at the elementary school level for the parents, if you can help make sure that your kids know the basics, add, subtract, multiply, divide. Those are the four basic operations that'll help them a lot when they get to middle school and high school. And multiplication, especially before they move on to middle school. And David knows this, but if, if kids arrive at middle school not being fluent with, with their multiplication facts, they're in for a world of hurt when they get to the sixth oh, grade yeah. concepts. Because they're working with fractions, which involves a lot of multiplying and dividing. So the more they know those basic facts and are fluent with that, the better they'll be in middle school. And in middle school, going on to high school, I would say fractions and integers are key, key concepts. And just to, just to uh, add on that, so, you know, integers, it, it, what kills them are negative numbers. Hmm. It kills them. It, it is the death of them. Uh, I, I always tell my students, you can do the right math and get the wrong answer because you have the wrong sign. I said, you know, I said, if this was money, would this answer make any sense? You know, I always try and tie it back to money a lot of times and I'll say, oh, well, because in that case, no, it doesn't make any sense. But those negative numbers kill them. And also, I mean, I know this is kind of a little side here, but um, calculator dependence, I think, is another big one. Um, I'm very old school and I make my kids know the math. Because again, you're only the output is only good as the input. So if you have a flawed approach to the concept going in, and you put in the wrong number, um, you're gonna get the wrong answer. It doesn't matter how you know how quick the calculator does it. If you don't know what you're doing, 
to get to the answer, then a calculator won't help you. It's only it. I'd say it's a tool and not it, it's supposed to be a tool to support, but it shouldn't be a crutch as well because it, it, it can it can really because kids don't have a clue what they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing as well. So, which then hurts Absolutely. them on the SATs and ACT scores as well. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely, David, with the calculator, because you could mistype something into the calculator, might give you the wrong answer and you mm -hmm. don't even know. So being using calculators as a tool, I would, I would say is absolutely necessary, and, but not to be dependent on it, as right. you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you just said that multiplication is very important uh, before you move on to middle school and it can cripple you. You didn't say that. Those were my words. But uh, <laughs> you did mention that's, in that's your okay, baby. Just, just, just <laughs> I know my multiplication I'll, tables. I'll, Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll help you to mend over. <laughs> I'll help you to mend and heal, baby. Okay. Uh, but you mentioned in your TED Talk that you had a student that systematically, you said, learned her times tables in four weeks. And so I wondered about that. So I watched your multiplication videos to find out what you were talking about. So tell us about your system of learning multiplication facts quickly? Sure. This was actually something that I came up with during my first couple of years as a classroom teacher. I started off in third grade as a classroom teacher. And this one of the main standards is making sure kids are fluent with their basic facts. So I was teaching my kids their multiplication facts and they were just taking so long to learn them. And we were taking the whole year and I kept saying, guys, we don't have the whole year to learn this. We've got to <laughs> pick this up quicker because we have to get onto the other standards as well. So what I was noticing was they were relying too much on looking at their times table to solve these problems. Even simple, simple problems like four times three, they would still feel more comfortable looking it up on their times table or drawing pictures or so on. And they do need to know conceptually what multiplication is first before you attempt any kind of memorization so they do need to know it conceptually first but which is where the picture that, drawing comes in exactly okay. so those those pictures are absolutely important at the beginning the hard part is making the transition to fluency once they understand conceptually how do you get them to actually memorize it without having to rely on rote memorization because rote memory does work for some kids but it doesn't work for a lot of other kids mm -hmm. so i came up with a system to and encourage my kids to learn their facts much more easily. And the way I set it up was, I have my book right here, actually. So it's, the system is in here and it's, it takes about a month for the kids to go through it. Even with my sixth graders, I make them go through this to make sure that they're solid with their multiplication facts. And so they'll, and they'll know them at, at, after that month. That correct? correct, that's okay. the, that's the goal. Okay. So to get them to 100% fluency because they should have learned it in the third grade. That's what the standards say. So. The one of the activities is there's a, a series of problems that the kids have to go through and it's all multi-digit problems. So going across the top row on one page, it might be everything times four, for example, and it's 174 times four, 741 times four, 147 times four. The three digits at the top are the same three digits, one, seven, and four, but they're just mixed up in a different order. So when they're working on 174 times four, for example, um, pretend we don't know seven times four. So if they don't know seven times four, they're not allowed to use a times table, they can't use a calculator, and they cannot count on their fingers. What they have to do is actually flip the page of this book, and their fours are listed on the back of the page, and they have to count seven times because they don't know what seven times four is. Mm -hmm. 
So they'll count one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. See 28. Remember, flip the page and finish the problem. And then when they get to the next problem, that's 714 times four, for example. When they get to seven times four, if they don't, if they forget that it's 28, again, they have to flip the page, count seven times, see that the answer is 28. Remember, flip the page, finish the problem. The third time when they get to 100, let's say 417 times four, and they don't know seven, the seven times four part of that problem. Again, if they forget, they have to flip the page, count seven times again, see 28 again, remember, flip, finish the problem. By the time they get to the fourth page, they realize, you know what? Every time I flip that page and count seven <laughs> times, I always see that the numbers, I always see that the answer is 28. So I don't have to flip the page anymore. I know that seven times four equals 28. So with this with system, it's so inconvenient for them to have to keep flipping <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. Every single time seeing that seven times four equals 28, that the brain would rather just remember that <laughs> <times> 28. Wow. <laughs> so by the time they get to the seventh and the sixth and the fifth and sixth problem of that row, they know that seven times four is That's 28 awesome. without having to go back and forth and counting every single this time. It's burned into wow. their head now. This exactly. Is like, this is like karate kid math. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what you got to call the book. Now, just, just give me credit and a couple, you know, the 10% of whatever your, your revenue is, and I'll be good. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's rote memorization and practicing, not knowing, okay, why am I counting through seven times? Why am I painting the fence? Why am I sending the floor? You know, you look it up and shock, seven times four is 28. Bam, you know. Um, and then when it's tournament time, they're kicking butt. <laughs> right. You know, because again, because our brains, we don't, what I'm hearing is like, we don't like pain. Right. We don't like, mm -hmm. we don't like pain of doing something we don't want to do. So it's like either, I learn it, or I'm up to keep going back and doing it again. That's just a great lesson in life, too. Such a great analogy for it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because you know, again, we don't like pain. We we try and avoid work as much as possible. I mean, just just our human nature is like that. So to get there, so okay, oh yeah, I've done this five other times. Twenty-eight. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's one of the components, and. Again, the reason it works is it's inconvenient right. to forget. And it gives time for that fact to go from short-term memory, which disappears within a matter of seconds. Right. And it gives them time to put it into long-term memory where they're less likely to forget it. Yeah. You also have something that you call the magic sequence, which I loved. You use a lot of patterns and mnemonics and things. Can you tell us about that? Sure. When we were growing up, um, the way that we learned the multiplication facts was by using the times table. So the way this system works is it, is it doesn't use the traditional times table. So it uses, it goes through the twos, threes, fours, and fives, as you would expect. And then after the fives, you would expect to go on to the sixes if you were to go in order. But what I do instead is I go to the nines instead. And the reason for that is the nines are full of patterns that make it easy to remember what the facts are. For example, if you look at Nine times three, that's 27. And if you add up the two and the seven in the answer, it gives you a nine. Then if you look at nine times four, that's 36. What's add the three and the six together, that also gives you a nine. And if you do nine times six, which is 54, put the five and the four together, that also gives you nine. Huh. 
So that's one of the patterns that are found in the nines. And because there's full of so many patterns, it actually makes it much easier for the kids to remember the nines than it is to remember the sixes, sevens, or eights. Mm-hmm. So we're basically going for the low hanging fruit, um, using that, using those patterns in the nines to memorize those facts. And that way, when we get back on track later on and go to the, to the sixes, sevens, and eights, when they're working on the eights, for example, when they say eight times nine, they realize, hey, I already know this one because we worked on the nines earlier. Yep. I know that it's 72. Mm-hmm. So it goes out of order compared to the traditional times table. And by going out of order and taking a different path, it actually makes it easier for kids in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And we go through different mnemonic devices as well, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So one of the hardest ones for kids is seven times eight equals 56. And in my 20 plus years of experience as an educator, that seems to be the most difficult one for kids to remember. Hmm. Seven times eight equals 56. Until, until you introduce a little cadence to them. So if you've done dance or music, you know the cadence five, six, seven, eight. And that helps you remember that 56 oh. equals I know, right? Times eight. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> So you go from seven times eight equals 56 to being one of the most difficult facts for kids to remember to becoming one of the easiest. The easiest. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's on your phone too. If, if you don't have face ID on your, on your iPhone, for example, and you look at the, when you have to type in your, your um, passcode to get mm-hmm. onto your phone, mm-hmm. I'll put it on screen here. You can see five, six, seven, eight right there. Uh-huh. Yep. And that's your clue that seven times eight equals 56. 56. So the answers are right in front of our faces. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. You had another one that, uh, that was uh, with a basketball player. Oh, yeah. So one of the kids' favorite is six times seven equals 42. Mm-hmm. And I'm based in Los Angeles. So I introduced a little bit of Laker history to the students. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I was born in Los Angeles, by the way. So yeah. I'm oh, where are you? What yeah. part? Uh, I was only until I was two. Uh, uh, Fox Hills area, Fox Hills hospitals where I was born. I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> not too far from me. I'm just down the ten and down the four or five from me. Damn, I have no idea where that is. But y'all might be related. My man, yes. We <laughs> <laughs> were like kindred spirits, yes. But one of the mnemonic devices is from the eighty Showtime Lakers. Yes, James Worthy, number forty-two. Um, I tell kids that at one point in his life, he was six feet seven inches tall and what jersey number did he wear he wore number 42 and can you believe how hard it is to get one of those jerseys on the internet so i actually had to go to ebay and look up one of the one of those jerseys and i actually bought it so that's one of the my mnemonic devices i use in my classroom is i have his actual jersey mm-hmm. with number 42 on it so the kids associate six times seven with jersey number 42 james mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my wording is very careful with this one. I say at one point in his life, he was six foot, six feet, seven inches tall. Uh-huh. He's actually six nine. So don't tell the kids that because they're going to get <laughs> confused by that. So it's at one point in his life, he was six feet, seven inches tall. That's why six times seven equals 42. Oh, okay. You That's know, funny. Uh, my very first, I call them real, like my real, real pair of shoes that I ever bought because I was tired of. <laughs> Grand shoes my parents bought me from, from Kmart. Uh, you know, uh, it's fine until sixth grade, but when they start clowning on you, and so I got a job, you know, as a paper route. And the first pair of shoes I bought were the James Worthy Express from New Balance. Stop. 
Wow. Yes. And I, to this day, and you couldn't tell me nothing. Once I had those shoes on walking down the hallway in, in seventh grade, I was like, yeah, where, where, where's the Kmart now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Never look back. Oh, my gosh. I see this flag behind me, and that reminds me of another mnemonic that you're using about the twins and the flag. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? Oh, that's one of the reasons that's up there, actually. Oh. So I've got the American flag back there. And another mnemonic de- device that we use is seven times seven equals 49. And when I actually started off as a classroom teacher, I had the privilege of having a piano in my classroom. <laughs> so every morning our kids would sing patriotic songs. And one of them was 50 Nifty United States by Ray Charles. So my kids knew that there are 50 stars in the flag and they, they correspond to the 50 states. And my first year of teaching, I actually had twins in my classroom. Their names are Araceli and Deanna. I still remember them 23 years later. And my twins, Araceli and Deanna, they knew that there were 50 stars in the flag and that there were 50 states. So those twins, they, they knew that we have 50 stars in the flag. And the story that I tell to my students is there's another set of twins they were also seven years old, like my, my actual twins in my classroom, but they haven't practiced as much as we have. So they don't think that there are 50 stars in the flag. They forgot one of them. They only think that there are 49 stars in the flag. So that's why seven times seven equals 49. <laughs> the seven twins forgot one of the stars. So that's why they think there's only 49 stars in the flag instead of 50. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And it's such a, a long and interesting story that it just sticks in your brain. <laughs> it's funny. Exactly. Um, I learned from watching the show Cheers from the 80s. Um, Coach, if you remember, he was um, you know, one of the earlier characters. Um, Coach, he was the older guy, and um, I can't remember Ted Ted Danson's character. They were trying to, uh, he was trying to tutor and help Coach so that he could pass some sort of test. I don't know what it was, but he had to learn about Al- Albania, and so they mm-hmm. they he taught him a song about Albania, and it said Albania, Albania. It borders on the Adriatic. Its land is mostly mountainous and its chief export is chrome. Now, this was the 80s when I <laughs> when I watched this episode. And I probably only watched it that one time, but I remember all of those facts about Albania. That is the most abstract thing you've ever told me in our 16 years of marriage. <laughs> I've never sang you the Albania no. song. No, you sang the U.S. flag song. She could yeah. do that. I could, on demand, she could do it, but I'm not going to put the 50, you on the- capitals yeah, or, that, yeah yeah the states in order yeah, that, that'll be on the uh the after party episode of school day right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i will say this though just add on to your point here is um the foundation to get up through sixth grade is, is critical and that sixth grade year as we talked about prior to the show is so important it's just the launch pad for everything they do from sixth up through 12th grade um is what i see in the, uh, having you know teaching algebra one and geometry is the foundation they learned what many students don't realize is that what you learned in fifth grade math is what you need to do algebra one so for example let's say in in fifth grade adding fractions was one third plus one third where in algebra one it might be x over 2x plus 3x over 2x and it's the same rule you mm-hmm. add the top numbers and keep the bottom the same 
But now that there's an X on there, it just it, it just throws them all off. I say, no, go back to what you go back to what you know. What do you know about adding fractions? Any fraction. You do this, like great. Now look at this problem again. Like, oh yeah, that's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so the higher we go, it really it looks different, but the rules don't change. But because these random variables are in there and these, you know, squares and you know cubes and square roots and all that stuff but the rules don't change and i think and that's what uh, i'm driving home with them is once they realize that it's not any different than what they've already been doing then then they're like, oh yeah this was all this was now this applied over here like oh okay well, i got that now and then it makes it easier for them to understand that concept because i think the higher up they go seventh eighth ninth tenth grade that's where we begin to lose them because they get tripped up because it looks different, but it really is not different at all. It just the rules are still the same. Absolutely. And to build upon that point, um, you're just building upon the foundation that you built early on. And there's a lot of construction going on in LA right now, a lot of new buildings going up. And you can actually tell how high the building is going to be based on how deep they dig that foundation. Yeah. So if you're driving down the street mm. and you see this huge hole in the ground where they're I'm digging out the foundation. You can tell that's going to be a pretty small structure. So that's the analogy I use to understand how important foundational skills are for yes. math. The deeper that foundation goes, the higher you can go in math. Mm, that is so good. Elementary school is so important and foundational. It is. Yeah, to really grasp those those skills. And, you know, I want to ask, what can we do as parents to not make math a mystery and make so if we have math anxiety ourselves how can we help instill confidence in our kids in learning math i would say like we talked about earlier giving them experience with math and letting them realize how it's all around us Mm -hmm. like when you go to Costco and you see all those things neatly packaged in arrays and that uses multiplication um, handling money as one other thing, one another thing that we talked about. Um, just giving kids little practice over time, not trying to cram everything all at once because that gets overwhelming for kids. So just teaching a little bit at a time and letting them absorb it over time is another thing that they can do. And also, if if your kids see yourself having confidence in math and not being afraid of it, I think they take on that persona as well and mm-hmm. themselves won't be afraid of math. Yeah. Like if, if you if you approach a math problem and you tell that you tell your kids that I'm so afraid of this problem, they're naturally going to want to assume that that level of fear as well. Mm-hmm. But if you approach it confidently and even if it's a difficult problem, not not being freaked out and acknowledging that this is a hard problem, but I'm going to try the best that I can to figure it out, then they'll, they'll adapt that as well and approach it as, I know, mom, this is a difficult problem, but let's approach it together as well. Instead yeah. of projecting that I'm scared of it and therefore my kids are going to be afraid of it as well. Right. You, you also mentioned practice. How much do we practice and how do we practice and how, how important is that when it, when it comes to math fluency? With math fluency... Um, as I mentioned, cramming is something that I used in college and wasn't very effective. Right. <laughs> so the more you can spread it out, the the more likely kids are going to be able to absorb it. 
And there's different debates about how to structure a school day, for example. There's, you can see each class, you can see each class daily, Monday through Friday, or a different way kids, a different way schools can structure their school day is have block schedules. Like you only have to see the kids Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but for longer periods. Um, different people are able to make different models work, but personally, I prefer the model where you get a little bit spread about spread out throughout each day, because the, the longer kids go with different concepts, their attention span will go off mm -hmm. a cliff mm -hmm. if you stick with something too long without putting breaks in between. So I think spreading things out a little at a time each day is the best way to go about it. Uh, no, nothing I want to add to that is, um, especially now that I'm, you know, now we're you now doing everything virtually is uh, I'm really going to be hitting it a lot harder this semester, but find ways to gamify the concepts to turn them into games. If you just Google math games uh, for multiplication or division, uh, some are free, some have, you know, some small subscriptions to them. Yeah. Education.com uh, is really good one. With yeah. Games. yeah there, there's, there's tons of games out there. Um, and they're learning the same concepts, but you know, as we know, like for example, we know that the gaming industry has blown. It was already a multi-billion-dollar industry before the pandemic, but since the pandemic has happened, gaming has blown up because people love to play, and and when you can learn through play and make it uh, into a competition, or you're going against the clock, or you're going against maybe someone else randomly, you know, halfway around the world in Australia or something. And you're going and getting after it um it makes it really really more engaging for the kids as well um and so you know, i want to encourage you know encourage parents just to just look it up there's simple stuff um like i said some are subscriptions some are free um as well um once I, one one other thing of encouragement to parents and i, I love y'all um, <laughs> I, I i really do but uh, and my but and I'm learning how to be more positive. I've, I've become a lot less sarcastic in the classroom. So I'm very <laughs> you're curling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but I would say and um, if we could rephrase to say I was never good at math. Yes. To stop to because what that does is it plants a seed into the mind. Well, Mama wasn't good at math, and Dad wasn't good at math, and they're okay. So if I'm not good at math, then I'll be all right too. And it. It, it lowers the mindset that a child can have. I've heard it over and over again. And even if you weren't um, strong in math, you know, I've, I've heard some math horror stories of uh, teachers who just, they just ruin them. Just ruin them. Um, we, we don't want to plant that seed in our children. Um, so instead of saying maybe I wasn't good at math, but, you know, hey, you know what? Um, there's some great opportunities here for you to excel in math and and um, so to move it from what you weren't for whatever the reason is whether like for me I, I, I didn't I never learned algebra one and I teach algebra one now um, to uh, what can your child do I think that 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 shift the small that slight shift from what I was into what you can be um, and who you are will make a huge huge impact yeah, that's good. Um, Randy, in your video series, you talk about um, fractions, or at least the ones that I watched you, and you emphasize the importance of teachers showing the fraction circles upon completion of the program or the problem. So tell us what the fraction circles are and why is this demonstration so important? Absolutely. 
So fractions is one of those things that we talked about that's terrifying for kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, not only for kids, but for teachers and parents as well. Right. So during my fractions unit, I make it a point to make it as visual as possible for students. And then that way, they're not just seeing these random numbers on screen, but they can actually see what they mean. Mm-hmm. So fraction circles are, in the education world, they're called manipulatives. So I'm holding up one right here, and it's just a circle. And this one is split up into halves. So this is one half, and there's one half. There's another one with thirds, for example. Here they go. So it's just circles split up. Imagine a pizza being cut up, and this one's split up into thirds. So it's labeled one third, one third, and one third. And it's really important for kids to see these models in action so that they can verify with their own eyes what these fraction problems actually mean. So if you take the problem two-fourths, for example, and so here I'm holding up two-fourths, and if students are asked to simplify it and they come up with one-half as the simplified answer for two-fourths, they have to actually be able to see that two-fourths put together actually matches... Look at the that. one half right here. So the, I use the fraction circles a lot in my classroom because kids have to be, have to be able to see the answer. Mm-hmm. So I want them to see with their own eyes that two-fourths really is equivalent to one half. Right. And I help them understand this in a real world, world context as well. So if you have two-fourths, it's exactly the same as one half. So if they're exactly the same, why is one better than the other? So why do we prefer one half instead of two fourths? And the example that I give is I imagine, have them imagine that it's after school. So you want a little snack. You go across the street to the little store on, on the corner. You buy a snack, a bag of chips, for example, for 25 cents. And you hand the cashier a dollar. Hopefully they give you 75 cents change. And I say, <laughs> what if the cash, cashier reach into the cash register scooped up a whole bunch of coins and went, boom, there you go. There's your change. 75 pennies is what you get back from the cashier. Would you be happy with that? <laughs> and the kids would say, no, I don't want 75 pennies. So I say, you want 15 nickels, right? As your change. And they says, no, I don't want 15 nickels either. I want three quarters as my change. So I pose the question, well, 75 pennies is 75 cents, three quarters is also 75 cents. Why would you rather have one instead of the other? And eventually they'll explain to me that the three quarters is a lot easier to hold in your hand. It's simpler to hold in your hand, but the 75 pennies, it's really difficult to hold in your hand. So I would rather have the three quarters because it's simpler. And that's why we call it simplifying. You're just making it simpler. Mm -hmm. So when you have two fourths, it's equivalent to one half, I'd rather have one half um, because it's simpler to hold than two quarters, than two fourths. So the, I, I'm really careful with my language with students. A, a different term that um, some teachers might use is reducing fractions. And I stay away from the term reducing fractions because it sounds like it's getting smaller. Mm. But the values actually staying the same. The values the same. It's just getting simpler. So that's why when I use language with my students, I'm really careful about calling it simplifying instead of reducing, even though if you said reducing and simplifying, any mathematician would tell you that they mean exactly the same thing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, I would also encourage uh, parents, another thing to just look up is if you, and now this is math jargon, but it'll get you what you need as a parent, 
is uh, so you know if, if you have real life examples at home, you can always refer to go to those. But also, just if you were to Google uh, virtual manipulatives, um, there are I use them in my algebra class to work on solving algebraic problems. So I'll give them a visual of it, and especially now that you know I have practically no one in my classroom, everyone's at home. Um, I'll I can you know take the same problems I used to do uh, traditionally, and now they can see it. They can see the visual of it. So if you type in this word virtual manipulatives. Um, or if you can think of examples at home to, you know, to convey the same thing as well. But, um, there, if you just type that in, you'll find all time. And there's no, most of them are just are free and there's tons of them out there as well. So just wanted to put in virtual manipulatives and that can help to make it real what they're learning. And, and they're at all levels as well. So, mm-hmm. all right. I love that. Absolutely. Well, I, I I spent a good amount of time watching your videos yesterday. <laughs> and, and let me just say that it really did make a lot of things more clear for me. So um, I appreciate you, appreciate you putting those up. And also, if you could tell our listeners and viewers how to find that, because they're actually free uh, for uh, for students to use. Sure, absolutely. So my website is mathfluency.com, all one word. Mm-hmm. Once again, mathfluency.com. And if you, once you get to mathfluency.com and click on demo videos, I've written a series of 10 math fluency books, starting from easy breezy addition and subtraction, which is unit one, going all the way up to pre-algebra, unit 10 is equations. And with every lesson in those books, I videotape myself doing a demo lesson on every single lesson in the book. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a free resources, resource that parents are able to look at. So even if you don't have the book, you can still watch the videos for free. No login is required. And you can watch it on your computer, iPad, iPhone. It's, it's all available on all those platforms. And even if you don't have the book, you can see how I explain different concepts so that you're able to do the same thing with your kids as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for the resources. And are there any other resources um, that would be helpful for students? Um, You know, David talked about the math uh, manipulatives and is there anything else that might be helpful for parents helping their kids at home? Um, There are a whole lot of different resources that are available. One of the most common one is Khan Academy. Uh It's something that I can recommend. So you can look into that, especially if they're working on higher level math, high school level, for example. Uh-huh. One of my other favorites is actually is someone called Okem Tutor. So he's on YouTube. You can just search for Okem Tutor. And it's similar to Khan Academy, but without the, without the platform to do the practice problems. But what I really like about him is he gives really clear explanations okay. about different concepts, especially at the high school and above level. Spell Okem. Ochem, O-C-H-E-M. Oh, okay. It's a short for organic chemistry. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, which is funny. So I guess he started off putting organic chemistry tutorials on YouTube and has expanded into all different fields, including algebra, calculus, trigonometry, and so on. And again, what I really like about his videos, they're pretty simple, but they're clear. Okay. And with my 23 years of education, that's one of the things that students say that they look for in the teacher, mm-hmm. not necessarily the one who's putting on a show every single minute of the day, but the, <laughs> they really appreciate teachers who can give clear explanations. Yes. It's, 
is what they said they like. So yes, that's a couple of resources that you can look into. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We are out of time, but we want to thank you for joining us and giving us all these wonderful resources. You're very welcome. Danita and David, it's been a pleasure. All right. So Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days. So we always want to let you know what's, uh, what's happening with Noggin. We are currently taking applications for two of our programs. Noggin's off Noggin offers 12 hours of free private tutoring to students through our educational coaching program. Also through our ARD advocacy program, parents receive support in securing services and accommodations their kids need um, at school for learning disabilities or special needs. With the closure of schools, the education gap for low-income students has widened and the one-on-one -on -one intervention we provide is vital. See our website, nogginfoundation.org or email me at donita, D-O-N-E-D-A at nogginfoundation.org for more details. And as always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com for more information about all that we're doing with Noggin and the resources mentioned on School Days. So remember, you don't ever have to miss a show find us on spotify apple Podcasts, pandora amazon music and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts and don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at noggin foundation that's n-o-g-g-i-n and last but always not least we want to end the show by saying that david and i are parenting by grace we depend on god to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults and if you would like to know more about that, email, it, email us at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.